Hello, welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Haley, I think we're going to do something interesting in the next few weeks with regards to, I guess, politics here. We are, as many listeners will know, there's a big leadership race for who's going to be the next leader of the BC Liberal Party. And on BIV's radio show, we're hosting all of these six candidates. And there do remain six at this point in time. Our goal is to have all of them on the radio show. (laughs) Uh, Crazier things have happened. Who knows where it's going to go? But we have spoken to a couple already. So I think today we're going to speak to uh, one uh, Sam Sullivan, Mm -hmm. uh, MLA here in Vancouver. And then we'll also speak to the former mayor and former MP of Surrey. and former MP of South Surrey, White Rock, and former mayor of Surrey, Diane Watts. But uh, why don't we take it away first with one Sam Sullivan, and then we'll come back after the break with one Diane Watts. Sounds good. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. with a daily business program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kurt LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. In February, the BC Liberal Party will elect a new leader to assume the spot left vacant by former Premier Christy Clark, who resigned as leader of the party in August. Now, over the next two weeks, BIV on Roundhouse Radio will be hosting BC Liberal leadership candidates on the show to discuss each candidate's views on a wide range of topics. Our first guest today is Sam Sullivan. In his second term as MLA for Vancouver Falls Creek, he has served as Minister of Community, Sport and Cultural Development with responsibility for TransLink. And prior to provincial politics, he served as a Vancouver City Councillor from 93 to 2002 and, of course, as Mayor of Vancouver from 2005 to 2008. He joins us now on the program. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What uh, what makes you want to take this step then, uh, Sam, moving from uh, from the job as an MLA into the leadership? What is it about the leadership that you feel you can you can fill? One of the real motivations for me is to try to accomplish what I wasn't able to get done as mayor. Now, remember, I I my two main priorities as mayor were price of housing and overdose deaths. This was 12 years ago. And I set up the program called EcoDensity to try to raise the supply of housing uh, for the ecology and the economy. And the other one was CAS, the Chronic Addiction Substitution Treatment, in which no person with an addiction would have to turn to the street Mm -hmm. to manage their addiction. And these two uh, priorities, I felt, were the greatest threats to our communities. And 12 years later, it does seem like many people do believe that those are very important problems. I mean, uh, when I was uh, mayor, we were having almost 100 people dying per year. I thought that was outrageous. And now, with 1,000 people dying per year, it's, it's even more clear to me that we need to move forward on the initiatives they started. And now with housing prices, even beyond what they were 12 years ago, which I thought were way too high, uh, it's clear we need action. It, it was uh, very evident, of course, in, in the last number of years with the overdose deaths uh, spiraling upward and, uh, and of course, housing prices spiraling upward too, that, uh, th- that clearly governments were going to have to do something here. Do you think that the Liberals missed the opportunity in the last election campaign to uh, to have a, a more urban-oriented and, and even a Metro Vancouver-oriented campaign? 
well, clearly we fell short. Um, you know, uh, um, I was a backbencher and, uh, you know, uh, um, a lot of the things that I felt were needed to be done, um, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't pursue at least uh, with a lot of uh, aggressive approach. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm jumping into this, uh, this battle. I, I think we need a much more urban and an innovation agenda. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, we believe that that will help us to regain government. When it comes to having that more urban, innovative agenda and on the topic of housing, what action do you think needs to be taken? The Liberal government brought on some policies. What would you push forward if you were selected as leader? Uh, well, the approach that uh, one of the approaches taken was demand oriented, you know, this idea that foreign money is behind, uh, you know, the house price problem. Um, and you see that kind of uh, rhetoric, um, you know, pretty widely shared, uh, except by economists. Economists believe that really what's happening is a supply problem. You know, that we, I mean, I've seen it since the 1990s. We used to make speeches to all these, uh, you know, anti-density groups and, you know, told them, look, if you keep protesting new housing, your neighborhood is not going to be affordable for your children. And in the 1990s, I used to say, I wish the young people of tomorrow could have been here to vote because they would be appalled at what's happening. And sure enough, the house prices have risen to their absolutely unacceptable levels. And then when you go to the people who who actually stopped the housing from being developed, they all point their fingers to the foreigners. They're the reason. And, uh, and so... <laughs> They're 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 uh, they're succeeding, and even now it's stopping us from doing what needs to be done, which is supply. We need to flood the market with new housing. When we we let the market work, and remember, it hasn't been allowed to work since the 1970s, 1973, a revolution and anti-density came in, and basically whatever was suburban in 1973 is almost uh, exactly suburban today. Yeah. You know, we have neighborhoods, many neighborhoods in Vancouver that have less people living on them today than they did in the 1970s. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, Dropped in the middle of a housing crisis. Yeah. And people say supply is not the problem. So, Sam, what what are the conversations then that you believe you would have with the community, with neighborhoods in particular, as as a liberal leader and then as a premier, in order to effect the kind of... uh, densification that you think is necessary in order that the community have a more sustainable housing outlook? Well, my uh, analysis over the last few years, um, you know, since I approached this and I was unsuccessful, I looked at the form of government that we have. Municipal government is very badly designed. And I went to Max Cameron, the head of political science at UBC, and I said, Max, doesn't this seem wrong? Why is it that legislators, city councillors, are also judges. They're sitting in judicial tribunal decisions on individual projects. You know, the, the legislators should legislate what kind of a city we want and the relationships and how things get done, the processes. But they shouldn't be sitting in judgment over judicial decisions. 
And he said, yeah, that's wrong. That's just not, uh, not the way a government should operate. We need to develop a judicial section to city government that is separate. You mean from like both a, the planning department and yeah. the council? So you mean like an Ontario-style municipal development board, that kind of thing? The opposite. Oh. Absolutely not. Okay. Ontario Municipal Board, and this is a great challenge for me to try to explain this. The Ontario Municipal Board takes the council decisions and overturns them. What the a judicial function should do is read carefully the ideas of the council and then judge every development idea based on their standards. And you'll find most councillors are really quite good at defining what kind of city they want. They, they want a, a good mix of people. They want diversity. They want different types of tenure, ownership, rental. Uh, they want you know a, a harmonious society that, that is, has affordable housing. But when it comes to actually the judicial decision on the individual project, as soon as a few people from the, the residents group come out yelling, they run for the hills. A judicial tribunal would not run from the hills, and they would say, look, um, just because different people might live near you, that is not uh, a bad thing. Hmm. Okay. Do you envision this would be a provincial body, or would it be separate municipal bodies? I think it should be connected to the city government. Uh, I don't think it should be a provincial. You know, I, I believe in the autonomy of cities. I, I believe in in home rule and self-government, you know, that we should get out of the uh, the uh, municipal decisions. You know, this idea, like even on, on transportation, that the provincial government is always the appeal board to every decision that the local governments make has caused us a lot of trouble. Yeah. We shouldn't be, you know, constantly... Uh, second-guessing municipal governments. Our guest is Sam Sullivan, a familiar voice on this station. He's the MLA for Vancouver Falls Creek, also a candidate for the BC Liberal leadership. Uh, one of your portfolios, in, your short-lived portfolios in that time that you ha were, uh, were there with the Clark government, uh, Sam, was TransLink. Uh, of course, we're facing uh, now a, a, a real series of questions again in the Lower Mainland about how it is that we finance the uh, municipal portion of a lot of these large infrastructure projects for transportation. How do you think uh, TransLink and, uh, and, and for that matter, the regional mayors need to come out on areas like mobility pricing? What, what's your vision about how that's going to evolve? Well, first of all, when I became the cabinet minister responsible for TransLink, the very first thing I did, first day, was to cancel the need for a referendum. That was a really bad idea and I'm sorry that we went down that path but uh, you know today we would have been years ahead now in providing more transit for people but I I love what the mayors are doing with their ideas of mobility pricing that would really uh, help all of uh, the traffic situation in Vancouver it would really help to uh, alleviate a lot of the problems we now have when it comes to referendum, the other one that comes to mind, of course, is the HST referendum. And you're proposing something similar, albeit with some notable differences, and that would be an MST or modified sales tax. Tell us how it would be similar and dissimilar to the HST many listeners might be familiar with. 
Well, the HST was also a great motivator for me. You know, I, I, when I heard all this noise going on about people protesting the HST, I would go to the economists and, that I knew and I'd say, is this a good thing or bad thing? And it was always two thumbs up. My God, this is the best thing we could do for our economy, for our future. We'd, by the same amount of tax we have today, we would get an extra billion dollars to either reduce taxes or increase services just because it's so efficient. No, no more of this, you know, costing 25 cents to collect every dollar in tax. And then the, the, uh, the encouragement that it would give to, uh, to our, our resource sector to actually process a lot of the, uh, the resources that we develop here, uh, it would just be good all around for the economy. And when it lost, I was, I was quite shocked. And so I said, we've got to talk about this again, you know, uh, this is putting us behind. Uh, our economy is suffering because of the inability of, for us to get this tax. So I came up with a solution called the modified sales tax, and uh, it's been uh, called uh, HST minus haircuts and Chinese food uh, by some. <laughs> but basically, it's to take a lot of the lower income products and services and just exempt them. And, you know, there would be, uh, before we used to write checks to low-income people every few months. Let's just get rid of that. We won't write any more checks. And we will just exempt more products and services. And um, I think we could get the benefits of the HST without the high-profile, you know, issues that that really did uh, go against it. Would you roll it out differently if you were liberal leader and, and premier? Because one of the criticisms of the HST was perhaps less about the tax and about the way it was brought about by government. Well, in, you will notice that I put forward quite a few very controversial things and some, some might even say toxic uh, ideas that I put into the, the debate here. And one of the reasons I've done that is because I heard what people said about the HST hey, you didn't talk about it before. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I'm yeah. talking about it. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about elements of privatization and healthcare. I'm talking about charter schools. I'm talking about selling our alcohol businesses to the employees. You know, I, I'm, I've got quite a number of uh, projects that are out there, you know, injecting privatization into the ICBC. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm saying that people, most uh, leadership candidates are, would run away from. Yeah. And I'm going straight into them and I'm saying we need to talk about these things because we need the political space to do it and I don't want anybody saying you never talked about it. Last thing then, Sam, it, it, these measures that you proposed, I think all have a, a theme to them. Uh, they come out of, I think, uh, your own belief system and all of this, which is that perhaps there is in many areas, too heavy a hand by government in some areas, and yet in other areas, obviously, a, a requirement for it. What's, what's your, if you had to describe what your vision was as a leader in terms of what the role of government in the economy ought to be, what, what would it be? I would say I want our economy to be as efficient and effective as possible. I want every citizen to contribute at their highest level and, and I want us to have the best kick-ass economy in the country and in the world and to respect economists and to respect 
intelligent people when they uh, when they make recommendations on where we should go as a province. Sam, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. That's Sam Sullivan, MLA for Vancouver Falls Creek, and one of the candidates in the BC Liberal Party leadership race. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Kurt LePoint. That, of course, was Sam Sullivan, former mayor of Vancouver, current MLA for Vancouver Falls Creek. Uh, a great chance to pick his brain about his policies. And we're going to take a short break, but then after you, Tyler, and our colleague Kirk LaPointe are going to do the same with Diane Watts. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or else check them out on their website at www.manningelliott.ca. And we're back. We're going to talk to Diane Watts. She's the former mayor of Surrey, and she's the former MP for South Surrey, White Rock. We had an in-depth conversation with her on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. That's right now. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. As the BC Liberals prepare to pick their next leader in February, BIV is speaking with all the candidates in uh, the race that we're going to gauge where they stand on the province's biggest issues. And joining us today is the former mayor of Surrey and former MP for South Surrey White Rock. That is Diane Watts. Ms. Watts, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. I can't believe that you would uh, not want to live through those winters in Ottawa uh, to uh, <laughs> to take on take on this. Yeah, they're pretty cold. Yeah, they are pretty cold. But you had to make a big choice. I mean, you 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 were at a federal level, and uh, you had a new leader there, uh, potentially a new leader looking to restore the Conservatives back to power in 2019. Why did you make the choice? Yeah. Well, when I saw what was happening, and, you know, I've raised my family in British Columbia, and I've lived here all of my life, and when I saw the results of the last election and how we lost 11 seats, and, uh, you know, the government fell, the NDP and Green Party are running the province, um, I knew that I had to come back home. And, you know, if there was anything that I could do to help uh, win those seats back, and uh, get the uh, liberal, liberals back into uh, into government, I was going to do that. And, you know, I mean, it was a long process, and I talked to a lot of people, and particularly my, my constituents as well. And uh, I got a lot of encouragement and a lot of support. So, um, you know, that was, that was a determining factor in my, in my decision. Well, the liberals, they did lose a lot of seats in Surrey, where, you know, you're probably best known for being. What do you think was maybe behind that? And what can you do to kind of stem the tide to a certain degree? Well, you know what? I mean, when you look at um, you look at the fact that uh, the B.C. Liberals had five um, balanced budgets, they were, you know, the job growth and job creation, number one in the country. I mean, how do you lose an election? And the only way that you lose an election with that kind of a, of a foundation is you stop listening. 
And that's exactly what happened. You know, we, you know, especially south of Fraser, when you're talking about the three seats in Surrey, um, the tolling policy was antiquated. Uh, we asked uh, over and over repeatedly uh, the Minister of Transportation uh, not to go forward with the referendum. And they went through with the referendum. They uh, And in the platform that they came out with, there was another referendum. And the delays and the, the cost... Uh, is is close to a billion dollars because of all of those delays if, uh, on construction. Yeah. There are some that speculate that one decision by the Liberals was very crucial in Surrey, and that was the decision to proceed with ride-sharing. Do you believe that that cost some seats, and, and would you be doing something differently as a Liberal leader and a Premier? Well, you, yeah, you know what? There, it, it wasn't about ride-sharing itself. It was the way in which it was done. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, you know, when, when you have people going through a consultation process and uh, you've got some people at the table, you're having those discussions and you totally kneecap them and come out and make a, uh, an announcement that you told this group of people you were not going to do um, really flies in the face of, of uh, being, being uh, working together. Mm-hmm. And it, it just showed the arrogance and, and again, not listening. You know, what I've heard over and over again on that front, and, you know, we put legislation in in 2012 when I was mayor, uh, and that was to make sure that the drivers had a criminal record check, they had the proper insurance in case they got into an accident and there was liability issues, and their vehicle was up to standard, and they had proper uh, driver's licenses. So all of those things uh, were put in place in Surrey in 2012, uh, and those were the things that uh, that people were asking for, especially that were, uh, you know, the cab drivers and cab companies. But weren't they worried also, uh, though, Diane, about just the economic impact, the amount that they had spent on their plates, uh, the precarious nature in a lot of ways of operating a taxi business, and that there was nothing that the province was really providing them to, uh, you know, to deal with the disruption that Uber or Lyft or any other ride-sharing service might bring. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I mean, and and those were all secondary issues as well. Yeah. But when you actually drill down, those were the main issues that they wanted addressed. Okay. And so, um, you know, to come out and, you know, when you're going through that uh, consultation process and, you know, when they were told there's not going to be any announcements uh, before the election and then all of a sudden there is an election, you know, there, there was an announcement and that, that really um, upset a lot of people. And it was, uh, and, and that's, you know, it comes back to the level of trust. Uh, you know, when you're told something and then something else else occurs. Hmm. Well, obviously, transportation is a big issue for British Columbians. Uh, you've sat on the mayor's council. I got to ask you this. What do you think needs to be done to kind of revamp governance there uh, with regards to TransLink funding, everything that we need here in Metro Vancouver? Well, you know what? I mean, the first and foremost, the, the province uh, needs to stop fighting with um, the mayor's uh, in the region, and we really need to to get together and talk about what is in the best interests of the lower mainland and look at the entire system and how it 's going to be fair and equitable 
for everyone. And, you know, the, the bit about the referendums and then wanting to, uh, you know, put it on uh, property tax, all of these things um, just delayed uh, the process. And so it's, it's less about the, the plan. We know within Metro Vancouver what is required for rapid transit. I mean, you look south of the Fraser and there hasn't been any expansion since the Expo line, uh, you know, the Expo 86 line. And so that got finished, I think it was like 1992. Well, you've got, you know, 520,000 people that live in that city, let alone the rest of the, the rest of the, uh, the Fraser Valley. And, you know, when you look at moving people around, uh, all you're doing by not putting the infrastructure in is exacerbating the problem and putting more cars on the road and adding to congestion. Most people believe that uh, the, the way that uh, the region is going to finance uh, transportation improvements will be through some sort of system of mobility pricing, some kind of regime. Do you have a, a particular vision of what you think ought to be the framework for this? Well, you know what? We started that conversation back when I think I was chair of the Mayor's Council, and that was uh, in Gordon Campbell's day. And we started having that conversation, and the province would have absolutely nothing to do with it. They said, absolutely not. We're not changing our tolling policy. We're only going to toll um, individual pieces of infrastructure. So that, you know, that in itself began the fight of how we're going to pay for the system and how it's going to be sustainable. You know, if you brought together the, the provincial transportation plan for the lower mainland, uh, TransLink's transportation for the lower mainland, and as well as the federal government, and had a master plan, you've got enough money in the system. It just has to be streamlined, and it has to be done in a way um, that, uh, that really utilizes all of the funds available. And it, it's coming up with a, with a solid plan that's going to work for the region. Sorry, maybe I misunderstand you, but are you saying that there is no real requirement here for mobility pricing per se, that there there is money in the system that can accommodate this? No, there there absolutely needs to be uh, there needs to be a system in place. Right. Okay. Absolutely. And it has to be low. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the tolls that were that were put on on uh, the Port Man and the Golden Ears and also, I mean, subsidized, I think it was 80 million dollars a year, uh, plus the tolls that were subsidized on the on the Port Man. Another 50,000 uh, or sorry, 50 million dollars a year on the Golden Ears, plus those tolls. And I mean, that's a lot of money, a lot of, of money out of TransLink um, to pay for low ridership. So that system, it never worked and it didn't. And, you know, we looked at best practices um, in Australia uh, 10 years and more than 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they had to take uh, the tolls off and come up with another system where it's fair and equitable for everyone. And then you can build that infrastructure. Our guest today is BC Liberal leadership candidate Diane Watts and talking all about her positions on all the big issues that uh, we're facing here in British Columbia. I think one of the big issues that a lot of people are paying attention to is what's going to be happening with the cannabis industry as uh, the federal government rolls out the legalization legislation. We have other provincial governments, Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, they've unveiled their policy frameworks. What do you want to see here go on in British Columbia when it comes to this sort of legislation? 
Well, you know, first and foremost, the communities have to be at the table uh, when when the framework is being developed, because the the regulation and the the selling of of cannabis in communities is going to is is going to happen uh, at that level. But what happens, and we've seen this in other areas where they've legalized uh, marijuana, is that uh, there's an increase and a spike in impaired driving, and so the police costs to manage that are going to be borne by the communities. So there has to be a revenue stream uh, back to those communities to cover those costs. So there has to be a framework, you know, and, and we need to take our time to get it right because we want to make sure that, um, you know, that, that all of those measures are in place, the framework is in place, and that communities are supported. Yeah. You've left a, a caucus whose leader is opposed to legalization, uh, Andrew Shear. I saw him speak last week at the Board of Trade. Um, do you, but he does say the same thing you're saying in this case here, which is that it's being rushed. Do you believe that there needs to be um, a little bit more reflection on this to get it more, to get it right? I, well, I really do, especially on the policing front and making sure that the police have the appropriate tools and that they are well prepared. Because the last thing we want to do is the minute the, the doors open and the, you know, the sale of, of all of these products is, is, is available, we want to make sure that the police have the proper tools, that there's, um, you know, that there's enough support for them and for the community to deal with the issues that uh, you know, that will be forthcoming. Well, maybe you can offer some insights about your former constituents. Uh, We know the city of Richmond, they're saying no to any retail cities there. Uh, We spoke to uh, the Surrey Board of Trades, Anita Huberman. Uh, She says uh, there's no position from her organization just yet. Where do you think the city of Surrey is going to come down on pursuing the sales uh, retail-wise when it comes to this uh, in the next year? Well, it's my understanding that they're looking at that uh, currently uh, with mayor and council and uh, and the staff. So I would leave it in their uh, in their capable hands to to look at how they're going to manage that because again, it has to be managed. And this is why I come back. You know, when when there's the the taxation uh, from the fed the uh, federal government, and then they're going to share it with the provincial government. You cannot leave communities out because the communities are where the um, the the implementation, the regulation, and the enforcement are going to come in. Yeah. You're running, of course, uh, from outside of the BC Liberal Caucus. Um, you're also the only woman in this race. Do you feel like you're an outsider campaigning in this case? Um, most well, there, yeah, I do on on a number of fronts, but I don't see that that uh, that particularly as a negative. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I I haven't been uh, elected as a, as an MLA, and I have you know been on city council. I've been uh, the mayor of the city of Surrey for uh, three terms as well as a member of parliament. So in that context. I, you know, certainly uh, bring a, a fair amount of experience to the table, and it's very different than uh, the other candidates. But also, too, you know, in in all of the elections that I've been in, um, one of the things that I have always done is made sure that I listen to the community, 
And when I look at how we lost uh, the election, the provincial election, and, you know, with all of the good things that were done on the fiscal front, losing it because you didn't listen and losing it because you didn't reinvest in the community. And, and that's why you have a, a strong fiscal foundation is because you reinvested in the community on programs of education, uh, health care, uh, social programs, and that wasn't done. And, and, you know, the mark was missed. And there were many, many communities that um, had spoken to, uh, you know, to, to their representatives that uh, really needed some help and assistance. If you look at southern British Columbia, I think affordability is becoming one of the big issues. It already is one of the big issues, especially for young people. What do you want to see done to address this? We've said, say, foreign buyers taxes uh, come into play from the previous liberal government. What specifically do you want to see implemented to address this? Well, I think there has to be a number of of things that occur. And, you know, the affordability factor means, you know, different things to different people. And, you know, particularly as we're dealing with housing, we need to make sure that there, you know, it's it's also supply and demand. And along the transportation corridors, the densification has to be there. And there has to be um, a lot of different stock brought onto the market. But also, too, you know, in, in many areas, when you look at the downtown core of any major city, whether it's, you know, whether it's New York, Paris, London, you know, the, the downtown core is extremely expensive. But what they do have is they have bullet trains that um, will uh, go out into, you know, into areas, just the outlying areas where it makes it more affordable. And, you know, it's about, again, looking at the entire system and saying, okay, how do we deal with this issue? How do we deal with this problem? And so, so it, it's not just a silver bullet that's going to fix this. We need to look at this from a, a multifaceted perspective. Do you worry at all that uh, the um, federal liberal government is going to run out of infrastructure money? Well, you know, I would like to see the federal infrastructure money uh, be distributed sooner. Yeah. I know that there's, you know, the dates are from 2019 out to 2022, and frankly, communities can't wait that long. And, you know, in in terms of, of this particular race, uh, as, uh, you know, as, as we select a leader of the official opposition, that is something that we have to really um, uh, take, uh, you know, take charge of, is making sure that those dollars flow. Well, Diane, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. I'm sure we're going to be talking to you more as this leadership race progresses. Perfect. My pleasure. That's BC Liberal Leadership Candidate Diane Watts, and you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. And that was Diane Watts on the podcast. Uh, very fascinating stuff. I, I think you and I are both interested in that. We're both from Surrey, Haley, so yep. it's always kind of interesting getting that perspective on somebody who's so deeply entrenched in Surrey for like years and years, especially in the politics there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, regardless of what you think of her as a candidate, she did a lot for the city of Surrey, a very recognizable name. Uh, same with Sam Sullivan, of course, former mayor of Vancouver. So there you go. We didn't even plan it like that, but we have two former mayors on this yeah. podcast, both <laughs> running to become the next leader of the Liberal Party. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. And this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Haley, if anybody wants to find you online, where's the best place to go? 
Firstplacebiv.com. You can find all of our business stories, videos, radio shows, podcasts there. And if you want to connect with me on social media, my handle is at Haley Wooden. Great. You can find me at Reporton. That's on Twitter. Go to R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And that's it for the Business and Makeover Podcast.